Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, Episode 120, How to Teach Children to Eat. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. I think most moms have at least one child who struggles as an eater. Sometimes we call them picky, other times it's much more intense than that. When our kids aren't good eaters, it can cause a lot of stress within a family. We might feel mom guilt and worry about our part in it. Our child might struggle with attention and behavior at school because they aren't getting the nourishment they need. And family dinner might turn into a battleground when you really just want that time to be bonding. I know from personal experience with my kids that it's easy to feel super defeated as a mom when you deal with hard eaters day after day after day. It's like, is this my fault? Why won't they eat? It just, it feels like there's nothing you can do. But have you ever thought about eating as a skill, as something that you can practice with your kids and help them to get better at? Before we jump into that conversation, I have a quick announcement. I'm so excited to tell you that I'll be teaching four free online classes this month about podcasting with my dear friend, Monica Packer, who's the host of the podcast about progress. Last year, Monica and I founded Podcast U, an online school for busy moms who want to start and grow impactful podcasts, and we have loved it. You may not know that when I started 3 and 30, I had no social media presence, no blog or business experience. I was just a stay-at-home mom who loved to teach, and I felt drawn to podcasting. Only two and a half years later, this show has over a million and a half downloads and is listened to by tens of thousands of mothers every week. It blows my mind. I, I still can't believe it, and I'm so grateful for the journey that I've been on thanks to 3 and 30. And I want to help other moms make their podcasting dreams a reality. So if you're a mother who's feeling the tug to start a podcast, or if you already have a show and you're wanting it to reach more people, please join me for one of these free classes this month. Your voice and your message are so important, and I'd love to be your cheerleader and help you learn the skills you need to amplify your voice and get it into homes all over the world. If I can be a podcaster, you can be a podcaster, and I would love to teach you how. To find out the dates for those free online classes and to reserve your seat, please go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash podcast you. I'll put that link in the show notes and I can't wait to see you in one of the classes. And now let's dive into this very important topic of teaching our children how to eat. My guest today is Holly Young, a mother living outside Boston, Massachusetts, who has five children between the ages of 11 and four. 
Four of Holly's children were born with a gastrointestinal disease, which required elimination diets, special formula, dietitians, occupational therapy, feeding therapy, surgeries, and two of her children also had feeding tubes. So over the past 10 years, she's worked diligently to learn how to help her children eat, and their gastrointestinal disease is no longer presenting and everyone is stable. Holly is a dear friend of mine, and I admire her for so many reasons, one of the biggest being what an intentional mother she is and how hard she works to teach her children the skills they need to thrive in the world. She's a deep and passionate thinker, and I'm so blessed to call her my friend and to have her expertise in helping me learn how to feed my family better, which is admittedly not one of my strengths. (laughs) I'm so excited to learn from her today. So Holly, welcome to 3 and 30. Thank you. It's so exciting to have you on and to be able to chat with a friend. And I've been able to pick your brain and learn from you with my own picky kids. So I'm just so excited for the 3 and 30 community to learn from you. Your kids had some pretty severe issues within eating, but many of the tips that you learned going to feeding therapy with them can be applicable to any child. So tell me more about this concept of teaching your children to eat. Because I just always sort of thought that this was like an instinct. What does this mean that you can teach your children to eat? Yeah, so I started doing feeding therapy with my oldest, Kyle, when he was three and a half. And the type of therapy we got is called SOS Approach, and it was created by uh, Dr. Kay Toomey. And one of the things that she talks about is we think of eating as instinctual, like you just said. But that's with an infant because they have a natural instinct to suck and swallow. Mm. But by the time they're about six months old, she said, starting around six months of age, children will do one of three things, either learn to eat, learn to kind of sort of eat or not learn to eat. (laughs) And I love that because I feel like my kids are in the middle. Like they've learned to kind of sort of eat, but they could be, we could do so much better with them learning to eat well. It's a process. Yes. That's the thing that people miss out on is that it is like a 32-step process eating. And and that's my first ta- takeaway is to remember that it is a complicated 32-step process to eating. Mm. And you can't just start like if you were to just go to the store and buy the randomest vegetable or fruit that you could think of that your kids have never had. Let's go with Brussels sprouts. And you went home and you steamed them and you put them on the table in front of Sally and Noah and you said, eat this. What's going to happen? Oh, there's no way. There would be lots of fighting and tears and in the end, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. And you can't make them do it. You can't no. <laughs> physically force them to eat it, right? That's just like very traumatic for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, I've, I've tried that before. And yeah. yes, traumatic for everyone. Yeah. And tears, and I mean, it's a whole, it creates like a battlefield at the dinner table, and no one looks forward to dinner, and it's stressful, and everybody feels that way. So you don't need all 32 steps. I'm just going to kind of break out for you kind of the general direction that they head in. So the first thing is that Noah and Sally would need to be able to be physically present in the room where there are Brussels sprouts. That's the bottom, bottom level. And I think that's pretty easy. Yes, for most children. I mean, but then you do hear 
about kids that have extremely strong food aversions or even food phobias. I don't know if I've ever heard that they can't be in the same room, but I do have friends whose children literally can't have the food on the plate. It like terrifies them. Oh, yeah. And that's a step. That is the current step that we are working on with our four-year-old, almost four-year-old, because, you know, you set the plate in front of her and she starts to pick off what she doesn't want and she'll set it on someone else's plate around her, right? Because she cannot tolerate it on her own plate. That is the step Mm -hmm. we're working on with her right now. And you just have to encourage them, okay, you got to leave the food on your own plate. But beyond being able to tolerate it on their plate, they have to be able to smell it, to touch it, to lick it to have it touch their cheek, their mouth, their tongue, all of that. And then the last eight steps or so are actually putting it in your mouth. But you still have to get through kids who put it in their mouth and then spit it out. That's a step. And eventually you get to the point where they can put it in their mouth independently and swallow it. Mm. So it's a long process. And I think one thing that I think about when I hear about these steps is that really acknowledging that they are steps forward and celebrating them and honoring your kids for being able to do them, especially if you have a really resistant eater that, you know, when they put the food in their mouth and they spit it out, you might think, oh, what a drama queen. Or you might think of that as a, it was a loss, but really that was a win. And that was a step forward in this kind of this hierarchy moving up. And reward the behavior just like you would for potty training or doing their chores or anything else. This is a complicated process and you have to reward them as much as you can. You can Mm. reward them with food. You can reward them with pennies. You can reward them with stickers, any type of reward system, encouraging them to continue doing it. And this process, unfortunately, starts over again with each food. So you can't make a meal of 25 brand new foods and have your kids eat them. It has to be a slow introduction. I mean, there are lots of tips and tricks to introducing new foods, but just remember it's a process Mm. like potty training. Yes. And, and you need to start at a low step and slowly move up versus putting the steamed Brussels sprouts on their plate and saying, eat it or else, you know, which so often that's how we go about it as parents, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So two years ago, I, I really wanted us to eat soup. I was like, why don't we eat soup? Soup is so easy for me to make in the crock pot. Why is this not something we're eating? And it's delicious. Yes. <laughs> and so our youngest at the time was two. And I was like, we're at a place where everybody could eat soup. So I made soup every week. I have done that now for two winters and winter in Massachusetts starts in October and goes through June. So it's a long period of the (laughs) year. You had a lot of soup. Yeah. And so, you know, I made all kinds. We made taco soup and stew and I mean, chili and potato soup and all different kinds of soup, but I made it every week and we always served it with something that I knew my kids liked. So we always had rolls and sometimes the soup would have cheese But I have taught everybody, I mean, it's still a process with my littlest, my two littlest, but everybody now eats soup and we know how to do it. I drain the broth off for my two littlest guys and just give them a little bit and they try what they can and we move on. But in two years, another two years, we're going to be at a place where everyone's going to eat soup with no problem. Yes. And what I love about this is just the patience required, the persistence, the consistency, that you're really teaching your kids how to eat this new food. I feel like as moms, we can give up so soon and so easily. And 
probably because we're busy and we have so many things to worry about. But if we really feel strongly that we want our kids to learn how to eat a specific food, we can sort of just be persistent about teaching them little by little and celebrating when they take a step up. Yeah. If you think about the way that a kid likes to eat, you think about your toddler's lunches. Let's just go with that. They like all of their things separated, right? They want their crackers and their cheese and their meat all in different places rather than having it as a sandwich oftentimes. And so when I serve my toddlers, I make a meal that everyone's going to eat, but I don't present it the same way to every person in my family. So my little kids always get their noodles separated from their spaghetti sauce when we eat spaghetti. Or if we're having tacos, they have their tortilla on one side, their meat somewhere else, their beans somewhere else, their cheese somewhere else. So it's all spread out so that they can interact with each ingredient individually, but also so they're not overwhelmed by this mass of things that they can't figure out. Mm, There are meals that, you know, you just casserole. That you, they just have to deal with. Yeah. Although you can sort of pick out like the pick, like if you have big chunks of chicken and casserole or something. Right. You, can you totally could. Mm-hmm. But if it's a meal that's simple for me to just spread out all the ingredients, I will do that for them. Mm-hmm. Like even with the soup, draining off the broth and then you're kind of deconstructing the soup, but it's making, it's a step towards them eating soup eventually. Yeah, because then they can see, oh, I like the meat, so I'm just going to pick out my meat. Or I like the potatoes, so I'm going to eat the potatoes. Mm -hmm. And I always try to make sure that there's one food on the plate that each child likes. So rolls is a Mm hands-down winner for everyone in my family. But I do fruit sometimes. That's a good one for four out of five kids. And I always do a vegetable for the fifth kid. And so... I just try to make sure there's one food on the plate that I know a child will eat. Mm -hmm. I had a pediatrician tell me that once when I asked about Noah's picky eating, and he said, don't stand up and make him something else. Don't let him eat a hot dog instead of eating what the family's eating. Just make sure there's something on the table that you know he'll eat. So then he's eating the same meal as the rest of the family, but he has, you know, some autonomy around exactly what he's eating within that meal. But I have another question really quick before we move on to our next takeaway. Would you automatically deconstruct the food for your toddler or would you put the sauce on the noodles to and see if they'll eat it? Because some kids will just eat it and they don't have to go through all of these steps. And so what's your advice there? I mean, I'd try it, but I know from experience with my kids that they prefer it deconstructed. And, you know, I have a middle child who just turned six and she finally got to the point where she told me, I want my tacos folded up like everybody else's. And so I started Mm -hmm. moving the food, you know, making her a traditional taco. But I mean, if Mm -hmm. your kid will tolerate it made, make it made. But if you have a child who's struggling, one of the ways is to deconstruct it to see where they're at and what they like. Because when you deconstruct it, you might have a kid who you thought didn't like tacos, but it turns out he just doesn't like the tomatoes or the lettuce or something else. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed is I actually feel like my kids have gotten pickier with time. Like my daughter, when she was a baby, she was an incredible eater and she would eat pretty much anything we put on her tray, you know, from about six months to 18 months. 
And so it's frustrating to feel like you used to eat the tacos altogether and now you won't. And it feels like a step backwards or like maybe she's just being dramatic. And I can say like, I know you like this food because you used to eat it. What have you learned about that in your work with food therapists? So there is something called a food jag where they're eating something really well and then they won't eat it anymore, mm-hmm. but they do come back to it eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Food loss is when they're eating a food great and then they won't eat it anymore and they never come back to it and pick it up. Mm-hmm. And there are stages of development, particularly toddlerhood, where being able to eat new foods and like just eating anything you put on their tray dramatically drops. But it's just a developmental stage that should write itself on its own with the right type of guidance like we're talking about. Mm. You know, if you have a toddler who's only eating chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese and hot dogs, which is normal, you know, that's toddler food, right? Which is my kids. (laughs) My kids aren't toddlers. They still like want to eat that way. Oh, my kids do too. So say that you have a child who only wants to eat those three foods. And instead of just continuing on with a normal diet and, you know, giving them those foods occasionally or for lunch or whatever, you come to a place where you're only making them those three foods and they're eating a different meal from the rest of the family for dinner. You are taking away their ability to try new foods at the family dinner table. And their their ability to learn new foods, to practice yes. new foods. yes exposure. Because you're not giving them an opportunity to practice when you're just giving them things they're already comfortable with and used to, which is so much easier. It's so much easier as a mom to just say, fine, whatever, eat this. But how important for them to learn and gain this skill as children that's going to benefit them for the rest of their life. It is. And, you know, it's not like in my family, I'm working every meal every day (laughs) at teaching them new foods. They pick their own breakfast. They pick their own lunches and I make a family meal with their help. This is actually, you've brought us right into takeaway number two, Rachel. So, and that is that children are fighting for autonomy. So let your children help make decisions about food. So allow them to have a space where they can be like, I want chicken nuggets. I want hot dogs. I want macaroni and cheese. So for us, that's breakfast and lunch. And then I make a family meal, but when I sit down and do my meal planning, I always say, hey, does anybody have any requests for dinner? You could give each child a night where they pick the meal. So Sally had Monday nights and Noah had Wednesday nights and they got to pick it. Or you go to the grocery store and you say, hey, we really need a fruit for lunches this week. What would you like to choose? Or you let them cook. I know you and Sally bake. And so, you know, that's a good way to get them involved. They are more likely to eat if they are helping to prepare. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are a good way to help them have more autonomy Mm -hmm. in the kitchen. And then you can still be introducing things into their life and giving them exposure. And everyone's comfortable. Like everyone's needs are met. Yes. And one thing that's been helpful with my kids is introducing a new food, but with something that I know that they like, like a fruit or a vegetable with peanut butter, you know, like they love peanut butter and they can try celery in peanut butter or apple slices in peanut butter. And this is something that you did a lot of with dips with when your children were in food therapy, right? 
Yeah, my food therapist would have me bring one to two foods I wanted Kyle to try with three to four different sauces. So you can do salsa, and it is a myth that little kids don't like spicy. It's all about exposure. So salsa, guacamole, sour cream, yogurt, um, ranch dressing, ketchup. Uh, you could use a tiki masala sauce. You could use hummus. You could use, I mean, there are a multitude of, of sauces, spaghetti sauce. And then... You know, if you really want to have fun with it with toddlers, you know, at a snack time, you lay out a couple foods, you lay out a bunch of sauces, and then the toddlers decide how you're going to eat it. So Kyle, we would bring ketchup and mustard and different things, and he knew it was gross, but because he was in control and myself and his feeding therapist ate exactly what he ate, he would take the fruit and dip it in ketchup and have us eat that. (laughs) And he thought it was so funny, but he got to control the situation and have ownership over it. And we just did what he said and it worked really well. Mm, That's so, I mean, it's so cute. It makes it fun to try new foods. It's a light atmosphere around trying new foods where the kid is in control. And so you could do something similar at the dinner table where you have a couple of dips or, or sauces and the kids decide how you eat the food, or you could do it, like you said, as a dedicated like snack time during the day or to introduce these new foods. Yeah, you could do like a taste test. So my kids and I do it with M&Ms. We buy the different kinds of M&Ms and lay mm-hmm. them all out, and then we decide which one we like. But if you have a child, you could do different kinds of crackers, different kinds of noodles. You could do different types of apples, mm. like all kinds of things that you could try a taste test with. Yes. Okay. And then what is your third takeaway? So my third takeaway is to teach your children basic nutrition. I feel so many of your episodes, Rachel, one of the takeaways is to teach your child about like when you did sexual health, teach your child about sexual health, teach your child about pornography, teach your child like all of these episodes are all about like, that's the whole takeaway. Just talk to your kid about it. And this is no different. Mm-hmm. And get to the core, like teach them why. Don't just command them, teach them why. Exactly. So often the baseline of pretty much any issue. Right. This is absolutely no different. So for my kids, I started by going to the library and getting some children's books on how the body works, how the digestive system works. And we had to go to some pretty advanced books because they don't make a ton of books about nutrition for small toddlers, but we just took out the chapters that were important. And then I, you know, they couldn't read. So we'd use the diagrams and I would break it down to them. You know, I talked about fat being good for our brains and our hair and our skin. And I talked about carbohydrates, our energy and fruits and vegetables help our muscles work and protein for growth. And so then we would talk about these things and then we would look at pictures of, well, what is a protein? Like, what does a protein look like? Well, that's milk and eggs and cheese and meat and nut. And so they got good exposure to basic nutrition. And then I turned this into, okay, when we make a meal, we need to include protein and a carbohydrate and a fruit and a vegetable. So when they were making their lunches and I let them decide, I'd help them round out their plate, 
because of course they're like crackers. Got it. I'm good with the crackers. I'm good with an apple. And I'd be like, but you don't have any protein. So that's our biggest struggle mm -hmm. actually is still like having my kids put protein into their meals. Yes. Which I can see because we all love carbohydrates. We do. <laughs> You know, and my kids and me, we all love carbohydrates, but getting that protein in is where they're really going to stay full and get the nourishment that they need. Right. And now that Kyle, my oldest, he's 11 and we talk about it, you know, even more detailed. So they know what the digestive system is. So we know about where our esophagus is and where our stomach is and where their intestines go and how their colon works and how the body extracts the nutrients from the food and all of those things. And you know, one thing that I have found, there's a website called Super Healthy Kids that sells plates that actually have pictures of the different food groups. So they're divided plates, you know, so kids can see I don't have a protein. Like I have these other categories, but I don't have a protein. And the kids can kind of match it yep. to the different sections of the plate. So that could be a fun way to teach them kind of the basics of nutrition. But you're not saying that they can never eat sugar and they can never eat anything that's not on the divided plate, right? No, I am very against teaching my kids that food has a morality. So you will never hear me refer to food as good or bad because it's not good or bad. It's just food. It just is. So we do dessert in our house and we do treats and we do all of those things. My kids know that when they eat those foods, it doesn't provide the type of energy that's going to make them feel super good good. Like it's not, you know, if they go out to recess, they're going to get tired and sluggish. And we talk about how that food can take up space in our stomach. And then we don't have space for the other healthy things that we want to eat. Mm -hmm, that we need and that we want to eat, which I think right. is important. I mean, such a simple thing that you've reminded me about, which I'm like, hello, is of course they're not going to eat if they're snacking too close to the meal. Or if they're drinking something that fills them up too close to the meal. So if you want to improve your kids eating, maybe just take a look too at when are they snacking? Do they have free reign to the snacks so you don't really know when they're snacking? Um, and maybe rein that in a bit so that they will learn to eat at meals when you need them to be a little bit hungry. And our family is on a very regimented meal time and snack time because of that. It's just been what we've done for so long. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's two hours between eating and just make sure that they're not drinking their calories. Because if you have a child who's drinking 32, 40 ounces of milk a day, then they're not going to need solid food because they're getting so many calories through milk. So yes. just to make sure to be aware of those things. Well, thank you, Holly. This has been so helpful. I know that you have spent the last 10 years working through this and learning about this. And so to really put everything that you've learned into 30 minutes and three takeaways is really difficult, but you've done a amazing job giving us, I think, three core principles to remember as we try to teach our children how to eat. So can you recap those for us? Uh, takeaway number one is remember that there are 32 steps to eating. So if you have a child who's struggling, start with a low step and then move your way upward. Takeaway number two is that children want 
autonomy. So give them as much autonomy as possible and help them make decisions about food. Takeaway number three is teach your child basic nutrition. All right. Well, thank you so much, Holly, for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. And Holly and I talked before the call about how she really wants to be a resource to other moms who may be struggling and may have specific questions that weren't addressed in this podcast or that maybe were brushed upon but need to be addressed in more depth. And so Holly has offered for me to put her contact information in the show notes if anybody wants to shoot her an email or a DM on Instagram, and she can kind of troubleshoot with you and brainstorm with you how you can help your children. And that's something that she's done for me with my kid. Well, my inability to cook a meal, first of all, (laughs) and feed my family and their picky eating and just lots of things in my life. She's just such a good sounding board and helps me kind of work through it and think of solutions. So thank you for offering that to the three and 30 community, Holly. I'm more than happy to do it. We'll put her info in the show notes. And Holly, thank you so much for being on 3 and 30. Thank you. I loved having that conversation with my dear friend, Holly. And if you want to hear a few of our outtakes, stick around until the very end. I can be much more casual and bossy with a friend than I am with most of my guests. And you can get a little sampling of that. Holly has taught me so much on this topic of helping struggling eaters based on her experience having children who were not just picky eaters like mine are, but who had diagnosed eating difficulties that went back to their biology. And I think as moms, we may not always consider that this could be a reason when we have a child who's especially resistant to eating. We may label it as picky when there could be some legitimate like gastrointestinal issues there or even physical issues that make it difficult to chew and swallow, which I know sounds kind of crazy, but Holly has taught me how many systems of the body are actually involved in having the strength and coordination to eat. I bring this to your attention because if something in your gut is telling you that your child's resistance to eating is not just typical pickiness, just trust that instinct and talk to a doctor or a specialist about resources. And go to the specialist if your doctor doesn't take you seriously. It's inspiring to hear how far Holly's children have come because she sought tools and education. And she was consistent in doing what she needed to do at home day after day to help her kids learn to eat. What a gift to them. And it motivates me to slow down the pace of my life a bit so that I can be more deliberate about helping my kids learn to be good eaters. They don't need to have a diagnosed problem to just need some help and support in this area. And I'm so grateful for the tools that Holly has given us today. As moms, we certainly can't do everything all at once for our kids, but maybe just choose one takeaway from this episode and give it a try in your home this week. I know we can do this together. And friends, as always, I just want to say thank you for being here and for focusing a little time each week towards learning and growing as a mother. I applaud you for that, and I hope that you have a fantastic week with your family. And um, so we'll put her info in the show notes, and um, ending is always the most awkward. Okay. And just tell me. Don't read it. Just tell me. I can't tell you without reading it. (laughs) Why not? Because I can't remember the wording. (laughs) Okay, fine. So we'll put her info in the show notes and Holly, thank you for being here. And, uh, yeah.
the end. No. <laughs> hey, I'm Lizzie Mathis, the host of the Cool Mom Code podcast, where motherhood is your key card to the coolest spot in town. I'm excited to give you a behind the scenes, real talk combo between some of the most influential and tastemaker mamas I know. Subscribe and stay tuned for new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't ever miss a beat. See you there.